Unity to God is a big deal. It can be argued that the expression of gospel transformation is unity itself. And the whole New Testament, particularly the epistles, has to do with the theme of unity, and you would not be wrong. Welcome to Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Lorenz. Well, it's been written about in songs and poetry, that word, unity. We all strive for it, but without the supernatural touch of God, there's really no way to achieve it. In fact, what Crawford just said is so important. That supernatural power allows believers to be unified in spite of cultural differences, political viewpoints, and opinions on any given number of issues. So how can a more focused move toward unity among Christians be a powerful attraction for the gospel? Let's find out. If you're new to our program, our teacher has been in Christian ministry for over 50 years, serving as a pastor, conference speaker, seminary professor, and author. His books include Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow, Unshaken, and Leadership as an Identity. The messages we feature on Living a Legacy come from Crawford's 15 years as pastor of Fellowship Bible Church of Roswell, Georgia. Today, Crawford leads the Christian mentoring ministry known as Beyond Our Generation. Well, today Crawford's message takes us to John chapter 17. So if you're able, join us for our study. Here's Crawford Loretz with the first part of today's message on unity here on Living a Legacy. I'm kicking off a new series today. Um, I've entitled this series, Big Rocks. What are those big foundational things that we need to pay attention to and not assume or take for granted? Now, I have to tell you, I have to tell you that these, all five of these are really, they, they could be series in themselves, all five of them. So they're gonna be summation and, and sort of, sort of uh, waterfront, survey-ish, if you will. But these are five emphases that I think as a body, as a church, we need to give ourselves to in intentional ways. And let me just click them off. The first one today is unity. Unity, the spirit-filled life, faith, and faithfulness. These are fundamental foundational things that if we're not careful, they will leak from us. They will evaporate from us. But this is the stuff where dynamic, thriving Christianity lives. And so that's what we want to do. Now, today we're going to talk about, talk about unity. Obviously, I could do, I could do a five- or six-part message or series on, on this theme alone. But if you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to two texts of Scripture. The first passage that we're going to be in is in John chapter 17, verses 20 through the end of, of the passage, 20 through 26, and then, and then uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Um, let me frame what I want to say here, um, and I want to take you into, into some of the feelings and angst and frustrations that I've had over these last couple of years and it's come to a boiling point this past year, okay? We have taken divisiveness in this culture to an art form. I, I have been painfully and with tears, that's not hyperbole, and with tears, I have been terribly disappointed 
in Christians. Terribly disappointed. Terribly disappointed in our wing of the church. And I'm not talking about fellowship, Bible church necessarily, but in Bible-believing folks. I have seen the damnable devastation of ingesting the divisiveness of the culture. In fact, it has manifested itself through some people that I'm actually shocked about. How we've allowed viewpoints and opinions and all these other things. Now, you all know I've got my strong opinions and you should have yours. But how we've elevated those things and they have determined our theology and fellowship rather than the Bible itself. I mean, all kinds of things. I've, I've talked to friends of mine, and this is not just, this is all across the country. I'm on several boards, and I don't know of any organization that has not been wrestling with the same stuff. Churches, organizations, it's, it's, it's in the water, it's in the air. We've ingested this stuff. People are leaving churches, for example, because, you know, the, the, the pastor in the church is too political. People are leaving churches, believe it or not, because the pastor and the leaders are not political enough. People are leaving churches because the pastor and the leader said too much stuff about the racial issues and all of that stuff. People are leaving churches because pastors and leaders did not say enough about the racial issues and stuff. So, you know, they, I, I don't know, I don't know what in the world has happened, but I do think it's a gift from God because it has, it has, it has elevated the real level of our commitments. And I could go on and on and on, but I, I, there is a warning here, church. There is a warning here. We have got to be careful of allowing the winds of the culture to dictate and determine our spiritual demeanor and how we respond. We're ingesting this stuff and this divisiveness is terrible. Now again, we can have our viewpoints and we can have our opinions. I didn't say who you should vote for, who you shouldn't vote for, where you, where you fall in terms of, you know, whether or not there's such a thing as systemic racism or not a systemic, I don't care about all that stuff. Wherever you might have views about that, God bless you, those are your views. But it's when we leverage those things to a standard of fellowship that becomes a problem. You see, unity to God is a big deal. It is not optional. Unity is not something, well, if it happens, just let it happen. So if they don't agree with me so much, yeah, I mean, this kind of thing. No, 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 no. Unity is a huge, big deal. It can be argued that the expression of gospel transformation is unity itself. And that, that the whole New Testament, particularly the epistles, has to do with the theme of unity, and you would not be wrong. Unity is a big, big deal. Now let me just say here, just, just, just so that we get the differentiation, unity is not uniformity. Unity comes from within and is a spiritual grace. Uniformity is the result of pressure from without. Just because people look the same and respond the same way doesn't necessarily mean that that group is unified. 
It could mean that they're motivated by fear. There have been some threat or whatever, and so they need to outwardly conform. Outward conformity to sameness is not necessarily biblical unity. Unity is an internal grace. Unity is an internal grace. Uniformity is forced externally on people. And so we're not talking about uniformity. We're not talking about everybody in fellowship here thinking alike and, and having the same political views or viewing issues and all that stuff. That, 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 that's not what we're talking about. However, we are talking about gospel unity. Gospel unity. Now, unity in the scriptures requires something, and unity is extraordinarily expensive. Just as love is extraordinarily expensive. Unity is more than a sentiment. It's more than something that we desire. It is extraordinarily expensive. The price for unity in the Bible is humility and self-sacrifice. Now, I, I know I told you to turn to John and, and over in Ephesians, but let me just read something here in Philippians chapter 2 to remind us of this. Paul's passionate plea for unity there at the church at Philippi, his passionate plea. Now notice how he sets all of this up and what he says. Again, again, the price for unity is humility and self-sacrifice. Listen to what he says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, and any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not on his own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's expensive. It's expensive. Unity is, go is grown Christian folk stuff, okay? Grown Christians. This is the mark of maturity. Before unity says that you are confident enough in your walk with God to lay aside your preferences. I want to underscore what I say today. Actually, what I, want, what I say today is coming through these two big buckets or tributaries or however you want to say it that flow into this massive ocean of unity. Two statements. The first statement is from John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26, and that is, Unity is what Jesus prayed for. And the second statement comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Unity is what we must pursue. Unity in the Bible is not a suggestion. It is not a suggestion. It is a command. Unity is what we must pursue. First of all, unity is what Jesus prayed for. Now, I need, to, I need to say this to you. As you turn to John chapter 17, beginning of verse 20, the passionate relevance and importance of unity is seen in the context of Jesus' life and the last prayer that he prayed on earth. John 17, Jesus is facing the cross. He's going to die. He's going to die for the sins of the world. It comes on the heels of the upper room discourse, John chapters 13 through, through 16, where Jesus has summarized everything that he had taught his disciples in three and a half years. He has washed their feet. He has commanded them. Now here he is, 
crying out to God, Jesus, Jesus, crying, Jesus, our Savior, crying out to God for his followers, those who would come after them. And he says that there's one thing that I want them to be branded by, and that's gospel unity. It was the plea and passion of Jesus. The thing that people would know us by is our oneness. I argue from chapter 17, verses 20 through 26 or 25, that in this section there are five aspirational characteristics of unity that Jesus prays about that would be true among his followers. And they're clearly right here in the text. And let me just click them off. Now, Jesus begins here in verse 20. He says, I do not ask for these only. It's a reference to the, to the 11 disciples, right? Judas, Judas had betrayed him by now. I do not ask for these only. But he says, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, meaning that this is now projected. Every follower of Jesus Christ until he returns, this is what I'm praying will be true of them. And the one word is corporate unity. Now, here are the five characteristics, five aspirational characteristics. Number one, this unity reflects the unity of the Father and the Son. Unity reflects the unity of the Father and the Son. Look at verse 21. Look at this. He says, he's praying, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. Oneness. What he's saying is this, look, look, this picture of unity is a picture of the unity that Jesus and the Father has together. And our unity with one another reflects that. It reflects the Father and the Son. The Father and the Son are distinguishable, okay? And yet, they, are, they function as one, one in love, one in purpose, and one in action. You say, what do you mean by the Father and Son is distinguishable? Well, I, I, let me just say that this is the doctrine of the Trinity, uh, that, that, that they're separate personalities, and yet they're one. They're distinguishable. The, the, the Father is distinguishable from the Son. The Son is distinguishable from the Spirit. The Spirit is distinguishable from the Father. The Spirit is distinguishable, etc. And yet there's this massive, amazing oneness and so Jesus says, I am praying that all of my followers will understand that unity is not just a nice thing when we solve problems, we get along with one another, we like each other and this kind of thing. But there's a message, there's a message that is being stated through our unity. And that message has nothing to do with whether I like something or I dislike something. But the message has to do with the oneness of the Father. The oneness of purpose. And by the way, without union with Jesus and the Father, Christians can do nothing. In fact, that's what Jesus said over in John chapter 15, verse 5, isn't it? That apart from me, you can do nothing. And so the very first thing is that it reflects this, this oneness 
that Jesus and the Father has. Secondly, our, our unity reflects the character of Christ. Drop your eye down to verse 23. Verse 23 says, notice the opening line. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. I in them, I in them, I in them. In other words, we are meant to be the expression of who Jesus is. So when the world looks at corporately, corporately at the body of Christ, corporately at a church, what do they see among its members? Do they see the profile of the character of Christ? Do they see the autobiography of Jesus in and through the lives of his followers who are part of that body? Or they see a bunch of independent contractors doing their own thing and spouting off their own opinions and brokering everybody else. What do they see? And that's the reason why Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, man, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me in the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, in other words, my statement in life is not my statement in life. Jesus wants to make his statement through us, and this is what he's saying here. I in them. Jesus wants to make his statement through the church. The church does not exist to shepherd programs and attractive events and all of these things. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that, but we primarily exist to demonstrate and portray Jesus. That's the reason why we're called the body of Christ. Jesus in us. And our fellowship is to tell the truth about Jesus. And we ought to be known more for the Christ-like characteristics than we are about our opinions. We look like him. This is what Jesus prayed for. I and them. The third characteristic of this unity is that it reflects the weight and awe-inspiring presence of God. This takes my breath away. Look at what he says in verse 22. He says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. The glory, the glory. What he is saying is that our unity is the pathway to the expression of the manifest presence of God. That ought to take your breath away. Glory, what does glory mean? You know, I, I, you've heard me say this before. I, there are three biblical words that defy, uh, you know, I've read the commentaries and their, their definitions of these words and this kind of thing, but it defies any human articulation and description. The three words in my mind are, are love, agape, agapao, God's unconditional love, but it's more than that. It's a love that ran us down. It's an uncommon love. The second word is the word holiness, the finite human mind cannot begin to articulate and describe the proactive purity of God. There's just a disconnect. And the, and the, and the other word is glory. How do you describe glory? And yet, Jesus prays 
That as we are unified, what happens here? We're focused upon God. God shows up. And he manifests his glory, his presence, his favor over the church. Why? Because we paid the price to humble ourselves, to sacrifice, to press into one another, to not lead with our own self-interest. And God says, you're being like my son. And I'm there. The world sees this awe-inspiring. Everybody wants, everybody's praying about revival right now, right? I wonder how many of us are willing to pay the price. It ain't cheap. It's more than just praying about it. It's living in such a way that God can manifest himself through us. And Jesus says, the unity of my people will be the showcase for the glory of God. Fourthly, the fourth characteristic of unity in this prayer is that it reflects the validation of the mission of Christ. It reflects the validation of the mission of Christ. What do you mean by that? Well, look, look, look closely again at verse 23. One more time. I in them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. Now notice the purpose clause here. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. What is this predicated on? What is this predicated? The world knows because we are unified. Christians have been so caught up and enthralled by the love of God through Christ that it compels a watching world to believe. And I think there's a warning here. Hear me on this. Don't let any issue obscure the beauty and wonder of our Savior. This is what the world needs. Jesus had said this before in John 13, we quote it so often, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one toward another. You can be right in your theology. You can be cogent in your arguments. You can be crisp about your, crisp about your analysis, transcendently correct about your insights and still discredit the cause of Christ. Crawford Loritz, our speaker here on Living a Legacy. Two important points from today's message. Unity is what Jesus prayed for, and unity is what we must pursue, because it's not a suggestion, it's a command. We'll get to the second part of this message next week, and hope you'll return to study with us. You can hear today's message again on our website, livingalegacy.org, livingalegacy.org. Many of Crawford's messages are also available to download for free. Look for the MP3 link on the website. Ever been on the phone talking about something serious or concerning, and you don't hear the other person acknowledge what you're saying by way of a verbal response? You kind of feel like they're not really listening. Well, it can be that way sometimes with a radio program like Living a Legacy. Great Bible teaching is presented each week, but there's not much affirmational response. Would you take a few moments this week to let us know you're there and benefiting from Living a Legacy? Email legacy at moody.edu, legacy at moody.edu. Thanks so much. Well, next week, more about unity from John 17. Join us again. For Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.